Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hello, I'm Darina Allen from the Ballymena Cooker School, which is down on the south coast of Ireland, east of Cork City. Uh, and I'm here to talk about my newly released uh, cookbook, Forgotten Skills. You are Ireland's best-known food ambassador, the Julia Child of Ireland. You have run the world-renowned Ballymaloo Cooking School in County Cork since 1983. You've written 19 cookbooks, won numerous awards, hosted cookery shows, and if that's not enough... You founded the first farmer's markets in Ireland. It is an absolute thrill to have you on the cookbook show to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. So your national feast day is celebrated all over the world today. Here in the United States, uh, we love shepherd's pie and corned beef and cabbage. Those are a couple (laughs) popular celebratory dishes. But what is your Irish favorite for St. Patrick's Day? Well, now, I know in America you normally associate corned beef and cabbage with St. Patrick's Day, but, you know, many of us here in Ireland don't eat corned beef and cabbage from one end of the year to the other, delicious as it is. And uh, But here at the cookie school, we do actually make our own corned beef uh, uh, and show the students how to do it as well. But, you know, something, if you ask me what is our... Uh, our really most traditional Irish dish. Well, of course, you know about Irish stew, but actually even more so a bacon and cabbage and parsley sauce and maybe some cold cannon, which is a, a, a lovely mashed potato uh, with uh, uh, some kale to it. And then you eat that with a great big lump of butter melting into the centre. So that would be boiled bacon and cabbage and parsley sauce and cold cannon. I mean, just delicious. And uh, or otherwise perhaps uh, a big pot of Irish stew. But um, uh, bacon and cabbage is a really comforting uh, dish that many of us would remember right back from to childhood. And the sort of piece of bacon we normally use would be what the cut that you call Canadian bacon. It's a piece of the back bacon. So do you serve any sort of dessert with this or is that just it? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it, here we, uh, at the moment, uh, rhubarb, the first of rhubarb is just coming into season. So I always associate St. Patrick's Day with a rhubarb tart. Uh, so we make uh, that lovely or what you might call a rhubarb pie. It would have a crust of pastry both on top and the bottom. I have a wonderful recipe uh, for a pastry that's made by the creaming method. I can send it to you if you want, by the creaming method, so that people who think they you know, their hands are too hot to make pastry or one of those things that people get caught up about. And sometimes making pastry is like a mystery to people. But this is a wonderful recipe where you just cream the butter and, of course, use butter. In Ireland, you probably know we have wonderful quality butter and you can get it in America as well, of course, I under the Kerrygold label, as far as I remember. But anyway, use butter, cream the butter a little soft, add in the caster sugar, beat it around a little bit, add in egg and then stir in flour and turn it out, flatten it out, chill it for a little bit, roll it out. Oh my goodness, it's the most delicious pie pastry. And it's not just for rhubarb. Uh, It could be for apples, for plums, for damsons, green gooseberry and elderflower. As each new food comes into season, we use it. But for St. Patrick's Day, it's celebrating the first of the new season's rhubarb. So this is a reissue of your classic cookbook, Forgotten Skills of Cooking. I'd love to know why you chose to re-release it. Well, it's very interesting, you know, because 
Uh, this book, um, well, it's won all kinds of awards apart from anything else, but but basically it was really interesting during COVID, this long two years of pandemic we had. This is the book, it, it, it got out, right out of print. And we. this was the book that people kept asking for and it kept selling and selling and selling right around the world, Australia, New Zealand, America, etc. Uh, somehow or other, there was a sort of comforting thing, I think, about uh, the relearning forgotten skills. And uh, many of us, had quite the wake-up call during COVID, um, uh, you know, where people who had had concentrated in their education on a set of academic skills uh, and hadn't, you know, taken time to learn how to cook or to grow something, suddenly found during lockdown, and we had several lockdowns here in Ireland, you had them in the US as well, uh, and basically that they were all, really, that they were not equipped uh, with the practical life skills to feed themselves properly, particularly when all the restaurants and a lot of other things were closed. Basically, I remember having this woman from Dublin on the phone. This is a woman, a highly achieving woman who could run the country and uh, uh, normally, and uh, her husband also, a very high-powered CEO of a top multinational company. But two children, their life was they'd get the children up in the morning and get them dressed and, you know, drop them into the creche on the way to work. They pick them up at 7 or 7.30 in the evening in their pyjamas, bring them home, pop them in, read them a little story, pop them into bed. The weekend, they ate out every meal. And so basically, this girl could scarcely make toast. So she was on the phone to me in tears saying, oh, my God, she had suddenly found the reality of having to make 21 meals a week when she was in lockdown. And she said, please, please help me, you know, to give me some very simple... Um, advice and simple recipes so that I can, you know, feed feed the, myself and my children. It was heartbreaking. And this is a woman who could actually run the country. So it was a big wake up call to many people realizing that it's not enough just to have academic skills. You need also to make time to learn the practical skills. And, you know, our educational system to a great extent in many of our countries is really failing in our duty of care to our young people. Uh, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book originally. It's funny because your daughter, Emily, asked you a very insightful question one day. She said, Mom, don't you think some of those skills have been forgotten for a very good reason? That was actually one day I was boiling up a pig's head. Now, this may not appeal to everybody, but <laughs> I love all kinds of offal and all, making brawn and head cheese and all of those sort of things that are actually having quite the revival among young um, adventurers. Uh, chefs, cutting edge chefs. But anyway, I was boiling up a, a pig's head from one of our own. We're the cooking school here is in the middle of a hundred acre organic farm and gardens. And so we have lots of chickens and we have pigs and a little Jersey herd and all that. So it was one of our own pigs that had lived a lovely, happy life uh, and then made a little trip into the butcher in Middleton. So I like to use every single scrap to actually, from the nose to the tail, to um, celebrate the animal, uh, the, the life of the animal. And so I was cooking up a pig's head to make some brawn and she came in, you know, into the kitchen. We have an old aga stove in the kitchen and it was bubbling away on the side. She lifted the lid and went, ah, when she looked into the pot and she said, oh, mom, because I was testing recipe and she said, mom, don't you think some of these skills were forgotten for a reason? But anyway, it depends on where you are. If you think uh, making brawn and head cheese is cool, as many of the Many young people do, uh, young chefs, uh, cool young chefs do now. Well, that's a thing. But then it wasn't, it's not, didn't float Emily's boat. 
What other sorts of skills have fallen off? Well, I'll tell you how this book really came about originally. Uh, I, as I said, I think somewhere in the introduction of that book, I was very, I'm now 73 years of age. I'll be 74 in June, next July. And I was very fortunate here in Ireland to catch the end of an era. Um, in the 90, I was born in 1948. So, uh, and I used to spend my uh, good part of my summer holidays with some relatives on a farm in County Tipperary. They killed their own pigs and butchered. I learned all of that when I was with her, making you know black and white puddings, homemade sausages, that kind of thing. Plus, they had a dairy herd, so she made uh, butter. Uh, every couple of days. So I learned how to do that there and learned how to cook over the open fire, to cook bread in a bastable, which is an iron pot over the open fire, taking embers from the fire and putting it on the lid in the time-honoured way. You know, that was... So And anyway, fast forward to the cooking school, which is Banu Cooking School, which is opened in 1983. And uh, I um, was in one of the kitchens one morning. I saw this girl... With a looking a little flustered, uh, with a bowl in her hand, making a dash across the kitchen, and something about the way she was, I said, "What's in the bowl?" And she said, "Oh, it's I was whipping cream, and it's gone all funny." And I said, "Oh, really? <laughs> Let me have a look." I said, "I was going to give it to the hens." Now, normally that would be a good thing to do because we have this, you know, zero waste policy long before that term zero waste was coined. It's just a way of working, really, that we try not to waste anything. And anyway, we also have hens here. So if something doesn't qualify for the stockpot, it will go into the hens bucket and then be fed to the hens, it comes back as eggs a few days later. So it's a wonderful sort of holistic thing. So normally it would be a good thing to say, well, look, I'm gonna don't want to waste this. I'm putting it into the hens bucket. But I looked into the bowl and I said, hey, it's just you just overwhipped the cream. It's you've almost made butter. And she looked at me wide-eyed. Now this is five weeks into a 12-week course. Am I a failure or what? Uh, so basically, this girl obviously knew that somehow or other butter was made from cream, but she had certainly no idea how it got from cream to butter. So I said, look, it's, it's almost butter. So we put it back on the mixer again, beat it a little more, and suddenly the um, butter fat was uh, separating from the uh, the whey and or, or the buttermilk, and there we had butter. And I took it out and uh, washed it, and then we sorted. About that stage, I had half the kitchen were, you know, looking, half the other students were looking on as well, and they were like all wide-eyed, and I thought, oh, my goodness. Uh, look, imagine this, five weeks into a 12-week course in a professional cooking course, and so many of these students are absolutely thrilled to discover this. And I thought, I have to write a book, uh, and about these forgotten skills which have slipped off because I was fortunate enough to catch the end of that era and to have learned how to do these things as a child. So it's funny that this Forgotten Skills book has been, there are over 700 recipes in it, and it's been, you know, it somehow touches something in people. It resonates with the uh, people, and often people who are, as I said, you know, are not necessarily cooks and chefs, but people who are, you know, uh, maybe, you know, in the techie world or whatever, but just like to do a bit of cooking and would like to connect back with uh, uh, things, how things were done years ago. They feel they've missed out on. The other thing, actually, the funny uh, that, you know, I remember when I started school in the beginning, we used to buy in our chickens, our free range organic chickens, and they'd come and we would have them, you know, I'd show them how to pluck them originally, but then they'd come in already plucked, obviously, but with all the insides, entrails still in them. And then I would just show the students how to eviscerate a chicken. This went on for a bit, for a couple of years, and they were 
delighted to learn the skill. And then I remember it was actually an American student one day, because we get students from all over the world, and it said to me, you can't be serious that you're expecting us to clean out the chickens. And I said, it's not a question of expecting you to clean out the chickens. It's a question of you learning these skills. And she said, well, I'm never going to need this skill. And uh, so anyway, I thought, right, that's fine. We'll get them in already cleaned out. And But I'll still show them how to eviscerate a pheasant or a game or something so they have the skill. Anyway, fast forward now to about 10 years ago when suddenly the students started to ask me again, can we please, can you please show us this skill again? And now super cool for them to, when they have a pheasant or game or something in, to be able to deal with it themselves and so on. So things come, if you, things come round full circle. Uh, it's not everybody's, as I said, it doesn't float everybody's boat, but uh, a lot of the more curious, more interesting students really want to learn these skills again. For me, this pertains to a certain generation. I was born in 1967 and sort of raised in the 70s. And I remember my mom was thinking, oh my gosh, McDonald's had just come out. She was <laughs> she was discovering fast food. And she said, I don't have to make lunch every day now. I think that there's a whole generation of moms who felt it was empowering to yes. not have those skills and to work. Exactly. And cooking... And so on was, you know, it was the whole inference was that this was drudgery and women needed to be uh, east from this and needed to. I mean, even I was at a boarding school in the 1960s and educated by lovely Dominican nuns uh, who were considered to be very visionary nuns. And they were encouraging us girls. I mean, can you imagine this to have a proper career, you know, to do medicine, scientists, architecture, uh, whatever, but uh, uh, but what I mean, all I wanted to do was cook, and they were sort of appalled. I mean, why would you need this? And the whole thing was that the whole, not even subliminal message was that you know, cooking skills or indeed gardening skills. I feel very strongly that people should have the joy of of, of sowing a seed as well, and indeed of uh, cooking. But it was you know, you're, you're never going to need that, my dear. So the the, the, the subliminal message was concentrate on a set of academic skills forget about that you'll have somebody to cook for you you'll have somebody to uh, to do your garden and so on as well uh, so in a way do you know something now it's it, not it was it was actually as i said the whole message was that women need to be released from the kitchen from the drudgery of cooking and doing three miles a day meals a day and but what happened then and not only did they not learn the skills and looked on it as of lesser value, but also they missed out on the joy of cooking a delicious meal that you can share for yourself or indeed that you can share with your family and friends. And I think a lot of young people now are rediscovering this. They want to, and actually, it's not a question of cooking three meals a day, but they love to cook, particularly at the weekends and uh, and also perhaps in the evenings when they can and they absolutely, um, not everybody, but many just love it. They find it relaxing. And they're also really connecting the food we eat with how we feel. Um, because, you know, our food, the hackneyed phrase, our food should be our medicine, is, is really, as, as the, our health of our nations diminishes at a terrifying rate, uh, basically people are really, the message is dropping that we need to spend more of our income and let, let's face it it's going down all the time 
on really nourishing wholesome food rather than spending it on meds because it's quite clear the research is there. The less we spend on real food, the more we spend on meds. So you tackle something else in this cookbook. You write about how these days cheese is grated, mushrooms sliced, and food is segmented at the grocery store. You wrote, yeah. if they sold toast, <laughs> we would buy it. It's funny, but it's kind of true. I've heard you say food isn't something that's just wrapped in plastic on the supermarket shelf. Exactly. Well, I remember actually exactly that incident. I went down to, we live right out in the country, just north of a tiny village that has literally one shop and a petrol pump and the post office and all of that. And very good little local shop. And anyway, I went down to Broderick's in the village and there I saw mushrooms sliced on in a little packet. And I thought, ye gods, is that how people can't even slice a blinking mushroom any longer? Or And also there was <laughs> cheese was grated. I thought, my God, can people not grate cheese any longer? But it's all about convenience and what, I mean, what are we saving all the time? What are we doing with all this time we're saving? But anyway, I'd probably sit and looking at a screen. So you have a beef stroganoff recipe on page 174. What is the key to flavorful beef stroganoff? Uh, well, really good beef, really good mushrooms. I would prefer flat mushrooms to the little white champignon de Paris who have, that have virtually no flavor now. Those are chestnut mushrooms. You can get a lot of different flavored mushrooms in America too. Then some really good cream. And uh, maybe some parsley as well. And it's made very, very quickly and then delicious with a little homemade pasta or with rice or with potato for that matter. Now to my segment called Dream Dinner Party, where I ask you who you most want to invite to your dream dinner party and why. And for this segment, it can only be one person. I think I want Michelle Obama. Really? What would you make yeah. her? What would I make her? Oh, uh, it would depends on when she was coming. I'd have a, I'd have a look out in the garden and see what was what was at its very best then. And uh, for example, if she was coming, uh, you know, at this in in a couple of weeks' time, I would give her some sea kale with hollandaise sauce made with lovely Irish butter. And then if there was wild salmon in season, I'd serve that with it too. And then, of course, at the moment, I would definitely do a lovely rhubarb pie or I would do roast rhubarb uh, with uh, maybe a little a little rhubarb water ice or something. Ah, oh, yes. But I would want her or else I'd get some lovely fat uh, prawns from in from the boats in Ballycotton and have that with the lovely homemade mayonnaise and some watercress from a local stream. I'd want to give her a taste of this place and, and something and something a taste of this season here in Ireland. Yeah, and I'd want her to come. We'd have a delicious little kitchen supper. I'd bring her into my kitchen because I doubt if she gets the opportunity to have. You know, a lot of the time I'm sure she'd be eating in grand restaurants. So maybe she'd enjoy a little kitchen supper in my kitchen here in Chenagari and East Cork down the south coast of Ireland. And God, how she did, she tried so hard uh, to actually do something about the food that children were eating, particularly. And I was very, very fortunate years ago to go and visit her garden while they were in the White House. I didn't meet Michelle, uh, but I met Bill Yossis, of course, who was the chef. Uh, their chef of the White House at the time. And I went to see their garden and their beehives and all the rest of it. And just, I felt like sending her a hug for the effort she was doing. And can you imagine, you know, how difficult it was to try to progress with that policy because of the vested interest in all of the, you know, the other kinds of foods. 
convenient. Anyway, there you are, Michelle Obama. Please, if you hear me, you're welcome to come and sit down at my kitchen table here in Shanagari in East Cork. Where can we find you on the web and social media? Ballymaloo Cookery School, as we call it. Ballymaloo Cookery School has, of course, uh, an extensive website, so you can find out all about what we do on that and the various courses that we run here. So we also, if, if people are in Ireland, they can come in for an afternoon cookery class or for a day or for a day and a half. We also do lots of bespoke courses for, you know, people who have a, maybe a little group of friends, something. Plus, there's weeks. And then, of course, our the course we're most famous for is our 12-week certificate of course when people come from all over the world because they want to learn how food is produced literally from the much hackneyed phrase now the farm to the folk they literally can go out in the morning with the gardeners or learn how to milk the cows or make butter cheese yolk etc so that's the Valley Millie Cookery School website uh, and it's also there's one called cookingisfun.ie but also there are three different uh, Instagram accounts there's the Valley Millie Cookery School one uh, there's my one Jarena underscore Alan and then there's another one, Tim and Darina. So there's lots of ways to link in to see what we're doing and bring it all to life. And if people are in Ireland and, and do, now that everything is open again, come and see us again, uh, do swing by the school uh, and remind me where you where you heard uh, this interview. And um, if I'm here, I'll come along and, and we'll have a little chat. To purchase forgotten skills of cooking, head on over to cookerybythebook.com. And thank you so much, Darina, for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. It has been an honor and happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, and happy St. Patrick's Day to you and enjoy your bacon and cabbage and parsley sauce. Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.